Well, hello, Harvest Community Church. Welcome to the first church of the quarantined. Now, I don't, I don't plan on wearing this ma- mask the whole time, although I do wear it uh, when I go, have to go to get essentials, only to essential businesses. Uh, I do put that on. Um, and I was thinking maybe I should wear it when I preach uh, in the future and you're sitting in the front row, it'll stop the, the spray, if you, if you know what I mean. But no, uh, Chris Clinch told me you're going to need one of these when you go to India um, for, the, for the smog. So I, uh, I dutifully went and bought a two, one for me and one for Lori. And then we got on the plane and, and I said, do you remember those masks? She said, no, did you? I said, no, so we left them here. Obviously, God wanted me to wear those colorful jungle masks uh, through the great coronavirus um, episode that we're going through. But enough about the coronavirus, because I know you hear about it all the time. Let's look to the Bible, to the Word of God. You've just heard it read by Pastor Andy, um, and now I want to uh, just jump right in. So we're in Mark chapter 8, verse 1 to 21, and in this section, Jesus deals with really three audiences. One is the crowd, two is the, his disciples, and three is his critics, the critics being the Pharisees, and that's the order I want to take them in. So first, let's look at how Jesus deals with the crowd in this text. Okay, they've got 4,000 people, and it, it, they're, they're following Jesus and listening to Jesus, and, and here's what Jesus says in verse 2 and 3 about them. I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days. And they have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. So um, they have nothing to eat now. They probably started with something to eat. But after three days, whatever vittles, uh, food they brought with them is gone. I was thinking about this. I was thinking, you know, if this was America and the modern world and uh, they were there three days, they wouldn't have to leave because Americans... uh, or have ingenuity, and they would have, they, they have free, free market systems, somebody would have set up a food stand and started selling food. But in their case, they didn't have that advantage. So, but here's the part that blows me away. I'm not going to focus on it long. Just point it out. They spent three days listening to Jesus talk. This was a three-day teaching festival. What amazing, how amazing his teaching uh, must have been to them. Um, you know, People hunger for the Word of God. People want, you can hear your friends talk anytime. You can hear your family talk anytime. You can hear what the television says anytime. And today, you can listen to the internet anytime. You, and you kind of, after a while, no matter what you listen to, music, movies, it doesn't matter. It's the same old thing. There's very rarely anything you hear that's really new. But, but when God speaks from heaven, he can light a human heart on fire. The human soul was made to talk to God. We are separated from God due to our sin, but that's not the way Adam and Eve were made. They were made connected to God, and when we hear the voice of God, it lights our heart on fire, and, and Jesus was, was just giving them undiluted God, and, and, and they said, we don't want to leave. We're, we're out of food, but... We're not going anywhere. And, and I want to ask this question here. Is it possible that sometimes you and I withhold the word of God from other people because we think they don't want to hear it? That's a mistake. That is a mistake. People want to hear it more often than we think they want to hear it. And, and I've experimented with this and found that if I will tell stories from the Bible, no, I'm never cut off, and I mean when, when not, not up here as a pastor, but I mean if I'm talking to a, a stranger or a friend or a person who's not a Christian, and I'll just say, hey, you know, there's a story that Jesus told, and then I'll start to tell it, or, or Jesus did something once, and let me tell you that, they pay attention, and they interact with the content, and, and why is that? I think it's because the Word of God says something to a human heart. I remember long before I was a Christian uh, in, in uh, Jacksonville, Alabama, there was this kid named Brent who was just a serious religious guy, always carried a Bible around, and I, I always wanted to be near him because he would always tell me stories from the Bible. 
I liked to hear him. Now, I didn't want to be like him because he was kind of looked at as a freak, even though he was a normal, well, he was a normal guy, but he was always talking about Jesus. But I didn't, I, I didn't want to be seen as a religious freak, but I always wanted to hear what he had to say. And, and, and I know God was planting seeds in me because my heart wanted to hear from God. So let, let me encourage you there. Don't hold back from telling people the stories you learn in the scripture. But now let's, let's focus uh, in on how Jesus deals with the crowd. And we're going to start with our map right away. So here it is. Start with our map right away. Now I, I realized as uh, we worshipped uh, in my house Sunday that... Um, I didn't have a map in front of me. It's online, okay? It's online, and uh, if you didn't get it, maybe you're scrambling now to get it, and uh, uh, the, the, the words don't stay up that long. Actually, I'm, I'm stalling a little bit, so if the words are up there, you can write the whole thing down, but uh, look for that online when, um, before the service starts is the best way to do it, but here's the map point, ready? Jesus looks at his followers as a shepherd does his sheep. He cares about them, and he provides for their needs. Um, Jesus doesn't look at, at his audience as, as uh, well, you guys need data. I'm going to give you some data. I'm the data bringer. I'm not, he's not a news service. He's not a radio program. He's not a podcast. You're out there listening. No, when he teaches people, he then takes responsibility for them. So if you learn from Jesus, he doesn't say, did you learn something? Good, I don't need to know you. He says, I'm taking responsibility for you uh, in three ways. One, he met their spiritual needs. Their spiritual needs are of first importance. Uh, You might say, well, their physical needs are of first importance. Well, in a sense, yes, if you mean uh, uh, that if, if if they don't eat and if they're not alive, they can't hear him. That's true. But if you are alive and, you, and, and, and you're hungry physically, but you have an opportunity to hear the word of God, the first priority is always the word of God because that gives you eternal life. Remember when, when Satan tempted Jesus? Remember when they were um, in the desert? Remember what he said? He said, listen, um, see that bread over there or those stones over there? You've been fasting for 40 days. 40 days without food. This isn't just skip breakfast, all right? 40 days. Now, if you, since you're you're God and all this business, if you change those stones into bread, you could eat right now. And remember Jesus' reply? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So when God becomes incarnate and becomes one of us, a man, he even as a man declares, I am. I am not existing on just human bread. I'm not a dog who just needs his kibbles, right? I'm not, I'm not an animal. I am a man, and I'm made in the image of God, and what I need more than food is eternal life, and I need the words, the bread that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus was meeting that for them. You and I need God's word more than we need anything else more than we need anything else. I've been very proud of the church as I've, uh, whoever I've talked to personally, but also a lot of people I'm seeing through uh, online and, 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 and people texting me. And uh, I see a lot of you are, you're sharing the word of God with each other as we're all kind of getting stir crazy and cabin fever or whatever you want to call it stuck in our homes. Um, and that's good because we need the word of God. One of the most Silly things in the world would be to starve to death when there's food on the shelf. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be silly? If you have a f- full refrigerator, my refrigerator's never been so full. Uh, my my uh, adult youngest daughter, Michael, and her husband, Nathan, are staying with us, uh, they're trying to buy a house, and, and so they put food in there, and we put food in there, and, and, and Tyler puts food in there, and, and we have so much food in my little refrigerator. Wouldn't it be horrible if we all starved to death? <laughs> And, and, the, and the fridge is full of food. Don't, don't let that happen in your spiritual life. You have the food your soul needs, right? You, you listen to people teach the Bible is eating. Um, sitting with other people at a socially appropriate distance and studying the Bible 
or studying online with your friends is eating. Reading the Bible yourself is eating, right? The, the, um, sharing the Bible with someone else. God will feed you as you share his word because you're hearing it and working it over too. Uh, the Augustine said, you know, every man has a God-shaped hole and that is so true. And, and, and the, the food we need is the word of God. Don't starve with food on the shelves. Let me move on. <laughs> the second way he met their needs was he met their physical needs. I, I just love this, this little detail is that they're gonna go home. Some of them got a long way to go. They've eaten all their chow. They got no more food. Some of them are gonna faint on the way. I mean, he cares about their physical well-being. And it's a small detail because they probably won't die, right? If some of them faint on the way, some will say, hey, Grandpa fainted on the way. Well, lay him down. I'll go get some food. I'll come back and give it to him. But no, he cares that they have enough to get home. So, so he, he's going to give them uh, a meal. Um, uh, forever beginning the tradition that churches should have potluck dinners or chicken dinners, uh, you know, bread and fish dinners, whatever, eating together. There, right is there in the Bible. Third, uh, he loved them. Don't miss that. It said he had compassion on them. He, he, compassion is a fruit of love. He, he cares about their well-being. He, he gets joy out of them doing well. He, he gives them the food from heaven. He came only from heaven to teach them out of love. That's his motive is love. He feeds them food out of love. Look, Jesus does, here's the important part. Jesus doesn't give out a duty. I think there are a lot of people who think, well, Jesus can't send me to hell. Why? Well, because he made me and I've done some good things. He owes me. <laughs> As if God has got to save you out of a sense of duty. First, that's bad thinking because God doesn't have to do anything for anybody. He's not in debt to you. But let's say he, 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 he needed to save you. It's not going to be out of a sense of duty. He's not, he, he, he doesn't serve you because he has to. Well, I guess I made you people. <sighs> going to have to save you. Oh, my. Don't really like you that much. Well, you're all right. You, you're nothing but trouble. I don't really like you people, but I guess I got to save you, right? He's not like that, or he's not like the government who, you know, <laughs> says, did you fill out the right forms? Did you fill them out the right way? You didn't? Okay, we're going to find you. Oh, you did? Okay, you get your little, you get your little EBT card. Do you care about the, do you think government cares about you? No, they don't. It's so dehumanizing, government charity, because they don't. They don't care. <laughs> they don't care. But Jesus isn't giving out government cheese. He's motivated by one thing, love. Jesus came from heaven to feed us spiritual food, love. Jesus gave them, broke the, 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 did the loaf, right? He broke the bread and he did the miracle for them, love. Love is God's motive. What do you call it? When someone does good things for you, not out of a sense of duty, not out of a sense of responsibility, not out of a sense that they think they owe you, but they still do good for you, what do you call that? Grace. That is grace, right? We like grace as Christians. We are saved by grace. Grace means God saves you, not out of a sense of duty or indebtedness, he saves you because he loves you. Zero other motives. That's grace. And, and it's displayed in little ways. <laughs> like giving, doing a miracle with bread and fish. Or in big ways, taking on flesh, sitting on a mountain with these people and teaching them for three days. I'm still amazed at the three days thing. Imagine that, a three-day teaching festival with Jesus. <laughs> Anyway, okay, so, the, so the, the crowd is the first audience I want to look at. The second is the disciples themselves. Now, Mark often uses the word disciples. Disciples is all followers of Christ. But he often uses the word disciples to refer to just the 12 apostles. And you've got to use context to figure out where. And here, he is using disciples as the apostles. And so then, 
the apostles did their job, right? He said, here, we're going to break these fish and bread, and here's the basket, or give out the, the bread, and they gave it out, and then they, they went back with their baskets, and they had a lot left over, and then the people went away, and then they got in a boat, well, then they fought with the Pharisees, and then after fighting with the Pharisees, they get back in a boat, right? And, and, and in, on this journey from the Pharisees they fought with to the boat, and in the boat, Jesus is apparently teaching them. It's a walking classroom, right? And he's trying to give them one simple lesson, at least one that Mark is telling us about. And here it is. It's in verse 15. He says, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, he's continually, he's, I'm sure he doesn't just say that one sentence, but that's, that's the metaphor he's using. He says, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What he's referring to isn't bread. Leaven is yeast, right? Which you put in dough to make bread rise. He's not talking about bread. What's he talking about? He's talking about beware what they put into their teachings, right? The Pharisees are supposed to teach you the Bible, but they put some yeast in there that's not good, some leaven that's not good. Pharisees put bad stuff in the bread. Did you go to the Pharisee bread store? Don't eat that bread. Why? They put some bad stuff in it. What'd they put in it? Well, they put in a, a commitment to their own traditions and legalism. They're a bunch of legalists. You have to be perfect. You have to make yourself righteous. It's a self-righteous. Their leaven is self-righteousness. Don't eat that. That's what he's saying. With the Herodians... Well, these people, they're fakes, they're phonies, they claim to be religious, but all they care about is power and money, money and power. They, they, care, they have worldly values. They do religion from a worldly sense, right? Come be a good Jew and we'll get you some money, we'll get you some power. Um, that's all they're about, and that's what they put in their bread. Don't eat there. But Jesus is teaching... <laughs> Is good, clean products, right? It's nourishing. It's from God. It, it, Jesus, Jesus is teaching this unadulterated good bread, right? This is pure bread. And, and this is the picture. This is what he's teaching them, right? This is what he's teaching the, the disciples. Uh, you can listen to the Pharisees if you want, but beware. You could listen to the Herodians, beware. Don't, don't, don't go there. Now, did the disciples know what he's talking about? They missed the point. They heard him say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they thought, he's talking about food. He's talking about food. We don't have enough food. We forgot the food. They're on a boat. They have one loaf of bread. <laughs> one loaf. And it's, it's not like a big, one of them big old six-foot Italian loaves, right? Because they're not Italians. They're Jews. It's a little pita bread thing looking, you know, one I don't think it's one of those flat matzah squares, you know. Who wants those? But it's probably a little pita bread, <laughs> one little pita bread. And, and probably the fattest apostle is the one who wants to eat the whole doggone thing. There's just not enough food. And they're like, he's talking about food. We don't have enough food. Whose job was it to bring the food? They're starting to discuss that they don't have enough food. He's like, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. It's a profound moment. It's a great metaphor. And they're like, uh, whose job was it to bring food? He's trying to tell you, you know, Thomas, wasn't my job. They're arguing who, over supplies. What was Jesus' reaction? I wish I could have been there to see it. Uh, I think the text kind of gives, is packed with emotion, I think, a little bit. It, you can almost see Jesus, I think Jesus' reaction is something like this. Seriously? Seriously? I, I mean, it might have been like back to the future, you know, headlock. McFly! McFly! I'm not talking about bread! <laughs> but, but maybe, maybe not. But Jesus, they said, Jesus hears them squabbling over bread. And he asks them eight questions in quick succession, all right? And I'm going to give you all eight really fast. They're in the scripture. You don't have to write them down, but I just want to show you that there's eight bam, 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 bam questions. And then look at what he's doing by, by asking those questions. One, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Two, he's not waiting for them to answer. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Three, are your hearts hardened? Four, having eyes 
do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? That's kind of two questions. Five, do you not remember? (laughs) Six, when I broke five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of, of, excuse me, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they answered, he he answered, 12, right? Oh, they were there, they answered, 12, 12. And the seven um, with the 4,000, and how many did you you take up? And they said, well, seven. So he let them answer the two math questions. And then he says, don't you understand? Right? He, he just knocks out these questions and then goes, okay. He's asking, do you get it now? You see, Jesus doesn't want them to answer all those questions, except the two math questions. But that, that is only to make them into rhetorical questions. Do you remember how we took up 12 loaves of, of bread after feeding all those people? That's what he's asking. Do, okay, do you get it? He doesn't want them to answer. What's he want them to do? He wants them to think. He wants them to think. You see, their issue is not faith at this point. When he talks about a hardened heart here, and don't you understand, and do you have eyes, when he talks like that to the Pharisees, he's talking faith. When he's talking to them right now, the issue is not whether they believe. The issue is whether they're paying attention. The issue is whether they are thinking The Bible says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. (laughs) Your mind. And he's saying, look, you are seeing trees, not forest. Right? You, You are, the truth is right in front of you. And, and, And you're just not paying attention you're seeing these events. I'm feeding 5,000 people. I'm feeding 4,000 people. You see that with your own eyes. You have all this leftover stuff, and what are you arguing about? Whether or not one loaf of bread is enough. I, give me one goldfish. If, if Jesus had one goldfish, he could feed all the Sunday school classes in the world, <laughs> right? He's like, uh, give me a crumb. I can, don't worry about the food. One Peter bread is enough. Don't you get it, he's saying? Along the way, in the midst of that, he was actually quoting Jeremiah 5 when he said, Jeremiah says this, and and this was one of his questions, really two of his questions to them. Now hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears and do not hear. Jesus seems, and I don't want to put something on Jesus that's not there. So I said, seems to me to be disappointed, right? They're not paying attention. Anyone who's ever taught other people, whether at work or siblings or children or teachers, and sometimes you put all the data right in front of the people, and they just will refuse to see. It's, it's kind of like the little leaguer in the outfield, right, who is very concerned about the dandelions and the butterflies and the color of the sky, while the baseball is, is falling right next to him. It's like, you're not in the outfield to look at dandelions, all right? We all have our gloves on. We got our little hats. We got our little uniforms. Remember that thing we call practice? We put you there to watch the ball. And that's kind of what he's doing with the apostles. He's saying, oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's what I think he's saying. Oh, man. But in any case, here's for our map. Jesus expects his followers to use their brains to reason, to think, to learn. We are to pay attention. We're to connect the dots. You know, those who say, well, faith, faith isn't about reason. It's just blind faith. You have to believe things even though they're not true. <laughs> There's no proof. but we. No, no, no. That is just wrong. Faith is always reasonable. It's more reasonable to believe someone who's just shown you he can break bread. You see, this is a thinking game for them. (laughs) I showed you I could supply bread. I showed you twice. And yet you think when I say watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees, I'm scolding you for not getting enough bread? Think, people. As you know, you could go to school 
And you could even get bees and walk out really learning nothing because you got some data, but you didn't really uh, integrate, think. The big picture matters. Are you a thinking Christian? Or do you show up, because you can show up at church or show up at home <laughs> for church like we're having to do now. And, and you can hear sermons and you could say, yeah, I know this story's in there, I know this story's in there, I know this story's in there, but never integrate it with your thoughts and therefore never integrate it with your life. Your life doesn't change. You hear truths and think, it, one of the most amazing things to me is, is I can preach truths to people <laughs> and they will later just not live them out but not resist the truth. Like, like I'd rather teach someone something and they go, well, I don't believe the Bible, so I'm not going to do it. Okay, that makes sense to me. They're wrong, but at least it makes sense. But there's people who go, yeah, you're right. Bible says, Bible says we should do that. Bible says I should stop sleeping with this person. Bible says I shouldn't do that. Bible says I shouldn't lie. Bible says I shouldn't give the finger to people when driving. <laughs> I had one Christian come up to me once and go, do you give people the finger when you drive? I was like, well, no. He goes, I do. I'm like, okay, whatever. It, you don't integrate what you know because you're not thinking. And that's what God is saying. Um, I want to give you a couple examples of this that strike me from just this, this, this whole pandemic situation. One doesn't relate to my current religious tradition and one does. One is the Pope came out, the Pope in Rome came out with this, this announcement that, that told all the Catholics, and I was one, I'm not criticizing, I'm observing the truth. This is just the truth. Catholics believe that we were taught that you got to go to confession and tell a priest your sin, and then the priest can absolve your sin. This is not a biblical idea, by the way, the idea that you need a father on earth to absolve, that, that there's a man who has the power to absolve your sin. Only Christ can do that. But regardless of that, Catholics believe that. Got to go to confession. Well, because of being locked in quarantine, a lot of people aren't going to confession. So the Pope said, while you're in quarantine, just want you to know you can go directly to God and get forgiveness of sins. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, for my Catholic friends and family, what do you people do with that? Are you thinking? Are you going to say, well, for now, we can just go to God. But once this is over, back to the old system. Think, think if you can go to God when you're alone, then you should be able to go to God when you're allowed out in public. But let's pick on our own Protestants now. There's more than one church does this, but one's very prominent who, who said you should not do multi-site churches. I'm very sensitive to that for good reason. Uh, the way we do multi-site church, by the way, we don't have any congregations that don't have pastors. We are a plurality of elders. Every one of our campuses has an elder. If you, if you don't realize that, maybe you're new to the church, even the Catanning campus where I preach, I am not the, 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 the one who's the campus pastor. When I, in other words, when I come here as a member, I'm under the authority of their campus pastor for the things he has authority over, and, and that's Kevin. And each campus is, is pastored that way. What we will use electronic means to put the scripture from one of our pastors, normally me, but as you know, sometimes other pastors, right? And there are some who say, that's not biblical. Why? Because nowhere in the Bible do you have anyone teaching other people from a different room. Okay, all right, that's what they say. I'm not kidding. Um, one famous pastor even said, don't go to flat screen churches. That's what he calls multi-site, flat screen churches. Okay, well, so now we have a pandemic. I went to that church's website, <laughs> that particular one, and guess what? They're streaming their services live. And if you read what it says there, it says, even though we can't meet together in person, which is best, and I agree that's best, to meet together, he says, we can still have church together streaming live. Now, here's my question to the evangelicals in that church. <laughs> if it's not legitimate to worship, with a flat screen, why is it okay now? <sighs> Think, Christians. Christians often major on the minors because they don't pay attention. 
<laughs> and God requires thought. Um, now, those are two big ecclesial, ecclesial, church-based uh, issues, but there's issues in your own life. Issues in your own life, things you know, you've heard, you believe, but you don't live by. And it's not always because of your lack of faith. It's often because you don't pay attention. Now, I'm not talking to any individual necessarily, and I'm the same. I'm the same. Sometimes I don't pay attention, and God, the Holy Spirit, wakes me up. Notice he's not telling his disciples they're all going to hell. He's just saying, could you guys wake up a little bit in your brains? Could you wake up? You're arguing over bread. What's wrong with you? Wake up. And I need the wake-ups. Do you need a wake-up? Anyway, so that's how he deals with his disciples, whom he loves. Um, Finally, the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, these are his enemies, right? They don't have to be his enemies. Uh, In the big picture, many Pharisees, there are thousands of them, by the way, um, would come to know Jesus as Savior, uh, like guys like Nicodemus. Um, uh, But at uh, at this point, as a collective group, they reject Christ, and they oppose him, and they critique him. And so after Jesus feeds the thousands on the hillside, then he goes to a town, and, and there come the Pharisees, and what do they say to him? Do you remember? Their issue is not intellectual. Their issue is not a lack of thinking. Their issue is faith. Um, it, it's not like the disciples who believe but aren't paying attention. These guys are paying attention, but they don't believe. And they, they, they say to him, we want a sign from heaven. We want a sign in, the, sign in the heavens is what the text seems to indicate. What do they want? We don't know. Uh, often, people would look in the stars for signs, right? Um, perhaps they wanted a comet to fly over, a solar eclipse, angels to flap their wings. We don't know what they wanted, but they wanted something big. Prove you're God. If you're God, show us. Jesus' reaction Look what it says in the text. He sighed deeply in his spirit. And I don't think you do that unless you, I think he loved the Pharisees. I know he loved the Pharisees too. And and what is this emotion, sighing deeply in your spirit? Is it frustration? Um, Sorrow? He sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Why do the people of God, Israel, who I've called from centuries before, who I've cared for, who I've put in this land, who I've kept alive, who I've given the prophets, why do they seek a sign? No sign is going to be given. No sign is. Prove you are the Son of God, is what they're saying to him. Prove it. (laughs) Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. I showed up, that John the Baptist guy. Remember how impressive he was, most impressive man in Israel for a while? He said I was. (laughs) People heard voices from God saying, listen to him. I've walked around healing. A lot of your cousins are healed because of me, because that's probably true. (laughs) Right? I've been teaching things. Uh, You've heard about the bread, right? You've heard about the bread and fish. He didn't say any of that stuff. They had enough evidence. I came and fulfilled prophecy, right? I did. You're the the teachers. You have the Bible. It writes of me. All these prophecies I'm fulfilling right in front of you. I am blind people are seeing, deaf are hearing. You know, he, he didn't say any of that. But I'm wondering what's behind that deep sigh. Or he, would, he did say once to Nicodemus, are you not a teacher of Israel? Before Nicodemus got saved, he said, are you not a teacher of Israel and yet you don't know these things? These people are responsible for taking the Bible and the Bible tells of Messiah and here's the Messiah standing right in front and most of the people can see whether he's Messiah or not, they don't know, but that he's from God. They can see it, but the leaders, well, if you're really God, prove it. No sign is going to be given to you. This reminds me of Satan. I think they're standing in the place of Satan. Do you remember what Satan said to Jesus back in the rocks and the bread thing when he tempted him? He says, 
if you are the son of God, change these rocks into bread. If? Satan was saying, prove it. Now these guys are saying, prove it. Prove the leaders of Israel saying, prove it. Just like Satan. They are rejecting. This is not good. But they have enough evidence, so Jesus gives them no more. I don't think Jesus withholds evidence for those who need it. I think Jesus gives evidence and he gives faith when that faith is is needed for the open-hearted, those who want to know him. But those who reject him, no. Remember Thomas, after the resurrection, he said, uh, the other uh, uh, apostles saw Jesus resurrected. They said, Thomas, we saw him. He was alive. And Thomas was like, I didn't see him. No, you didn't see him, they said, but we saw him, right? They did a roll call, Peter, I saw him. John, I saw him. James, I saw him, right? They're going down the roll. Andrew, I saw him. But he won't believe his own, his own brothers in the faith. He goes, well, I'm not going to believe it unless I can put my hand right in the side where that spear went in and I can touch him right in the hole in his hand. Remember that? That's what he said. What did Jesus do? Did Jesus say, Thomas, no sign will be given unto thee? Nope. He showed up and said, here's my hand, dude. If if that's what you need, there it is. (laughs) So, remember Gideon? Gideon, who who was uh, not a a warrior and, and not skilled in leading battles, who could not fathom that God really wanted him to go fight a battle, but he was a faithful man. What did God do? He gave him signs. Put the fleece out there. I'm not going to go into that story, but you get the point. Jesus doesn't mind proving himself to the honest doubter and giving the evidence, but he's not going to be, he's not going to take a stubborn person and entertain their foolishness. Today, many people are like that. If Jesus is real, let him strike me dead right now or something stupid like that. Let him show up right now. He did show up. He changed the world. He's the most important man who's ever lived. <laughs> and, and by any measure, by any measure, you don't have to be a Christian to believe that. Though it, you're just ignorant of the big picture of the history of mankind if you don't realize that Jesus is the most important man who ever lived. He did things. He said things. Eyewitnesses recorded them. And you refuse to even consider that he's real and then demand he do tricks? People do that today. Well, they're not going to get their tricks. He's given enough. It won't be long till the Pharisees give him the same test again. When he's hanging on the cross, dying for their sins, do you remember what they said? I'll remind you. If we were to jump forward in Mark chapter 15, it says this. Aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, which he didn't say. He meant the temple of his body, but leaving that aside. Save yourself, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests and the scribes mocked him to one another saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. They're standing there saying to each other, I'll believe in him as soon as he gets down off of that cross. We want proof on our terms. If you're the son of God, big tough guy, why are you hanging on a cross? Why don't you come down? It's blasphemous. It's the exact same thing they're saying when they say, we need a sign. It's no different. And if you could show your modern skeptic friend today, well, if he showed up here, I'd do it. He could come down, do miracles in front of him, hang on a cross. It's the same as your friend would say, okay, those miracles are cool, but if he's really the son of God, let him come down off the cross. It's rebellious. It's obnoxious. It's blasphemous. It's wicked. It is the heart of sin that's in every man. This unbelief. Well, Jesus isn't going to come down off the cross either. He must die. And he knows it. Jesus must die. By must, I mean must in the strongest way you can use the word must. The sun must turn or come up in the morning or whatever terms you use. It must burn hot right? The earth must rotate. You don't believe it? Stop it. Gravity must work when you drop something. This is stronger than that. 
He must die. There's a stronger force than any force of a law of nature. Because God made the laws of nature and God declared Jesus must die. Here's what Jesus says in John 10 of his own death. He says, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life. I lay down my life so I take it up again. I volunteer to lay down my life and I'm going to get up. So he must get up too, by the way. Easter's coming. Then he says this, no one has taken it from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. Jesus, the son of God, says I must lay down my life of my initiative. I could bring 10,000 angels to beat up these Roman soldiers. I could get off of this if I wanted to. I don't need to be here. I must do this. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to get back up. He's saying, it's my will to die, and it's my will to raise from the dead. I'm going to do this, and I cannot be stopped. But he's not independent. He said this, this commandment I received from my Father. That's why it must happen. Because the Son of God never sins. He must obey the Father, and he will. (laughs) It must happen. Nothing is more sure in the universe than that the Son of God must obey the Father. And he loves him. And if my father, I can't speak for Jesus, but I can imagine he could say it like this. If my father says I'm going to die on that cross, then I will choose to die on that cross. Look at the beautiful thing, by the way, as a parenthesis of how submission and authority is supposed to work in a loving relationship. The father tells him to do it, but he doesn't make him do it. He's, he's, his father, it says, gave him the authority. It's completely his initiative. Remember that in your marriages, man. This is a side note. Do not give your wife orders. Do not make her do things. And wife, remember this. It's completely voluntary, but you can fulfill what he wants by choice because you love him. And children, the same with your parents. And employees with your bosses. But in parentheses, back to the sermon. Uh, he, he, this commandment I received from my father, if my father says die, I die. You can make fun of me all you want. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to get up. The better question is why does father want him dead? Now, I don't have that question because I've read the Bible. Maybe you don't, but maybe you do. And maybe some are listening who don't believe in Jesus yet. And if that's you, that's a natural question. Why on earth or heaven would God want his son dead? This does not seem like a loving thing to do. You may have even heard some false preachers like Rob Bell and others teach you that God didn't want him dead, that evil man did it, God didn't really want it, but he kind of put up with it, which is a, a lie from hell. The reason why he wanted him dead, seriously? <laughs> I've got no phone on me and my arm rings. The reason why God wanted him dead For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his world, son into the world to condemn the world, but that the order that the world might be saved through him. You knew that verse, right? God wanted his son dead because God sent his son motivated by what? Love. To do what? Save the world. He didn't want Jesus to come here to tell us all what sinners we are. We know that from the law. He sent his son here to rescue us from our own sin. To save us by sending Jesus to die in our place as our substitute. Taking our punishment. Now you might say, why would God give so much to us? Out of a sense of duty? No. Out of a sense of obligation? No. Out of a sense of responsibility? No. He didn't have to do it. He wanted to do it because he loved us, and we call that grace. God looked down. You know, God in flesh looked out at 4,000 people and said, I have compassion on them. They're physically going to be hungry. (laughs) And he gave them physical food. Well, if God... Loves his children so much, he gives them bread. Do you not think he sat in heaven and looked over the span of time at the billions of us, realizing we need spiritual food, and he had compassion on us? 
And he gave us more than loaves of bread. He gave us what Jesus calls the bread that comes down from heaven, which is Jesus. He said, my body is true food. My blood is true drink. I must die in this physical body to save you. We were 100 billion people or so over the course of time, helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd, and he cares. We needed the food, so he sent his son. Jesus would give the Pharisees a sign, not of their choosing of his. You know what the sign was? An empty tomb. That's your sign right there. (laughs) I'm not dead. He even told them that. He said in another uh, gospel, it shows that he told them, I'll give you the sign of Jonah, which they didn't understand. But Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of a whale, but he came out alive. Jesus was three days in the ground, and he came out alive. And, And you might say, wait, I already know this. You do? You know this? You know about this? You know about the bread from heaven? You did? Then why do you worry so much about dying from a virus? You you knew this? You knew about why do you worry so much about losing your 401k? You you knew he gives you eternal life? You you knew all this story about how he, he died? Then why is your first concern that life get back to normal in your world? Are you blind? Can you hear? Did not Jesus rise from the dead? Faithful Christian, are you thinking? You believe, but do you see the big picture? And are you integrating it into your life right now? Did he not tell you this final text? Jesus said, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life. Did you apply that? Are you applying that? As to what you will eat, nor your body, as to what you will put on. That's money. He's talking about money to to care for yourself. For life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow, they don't reap. I looked outside my door, window, window, wasn't door, bathroom window, second floor, I'm looking out. And I've learned the patterns of life this time of year, the crows or some sort of black bird with a black head that looks kind of green in the sun. These black birds, big black birds show up early spring every year and eat my dog's dog food because I keep it outside. (laughs) Keep it outside. That's where the dog is. And in the winter, it's fine. As we get into summer, these little tiny birds jump around trying to get their dog food. And I guess he's not hungry enough. But now I go through some dog food, because the, and today the birds are out there. God is feeding those birds while I'm quarantined in the house with my dog's dog food. But it doesn't matter if I didn't give them dog food. God, do <laughs> consider the ravens. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't store stuff up in a barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? What is Jesus doing when he asks that? He's asking us to think. Think you're worried about your life when the God who makes life told you, I got you. I got my eye on you. I can see you. I care about you. All of your moments are in my hand. Uh, uh, You cannot fall from this hand. The day of your life I appointed, the day of your death I appointed, and I will receive you unto myself. Think, that bird isn't worrying, are you? And I'm not just talking about anxiety here, because anxiety suffers, it's a whole other category that needs to be considered, this applies to you, but even if people don't normally have anxiety, what are you stressing about now? Who gets elected? Whether or not the government's gonna send me a check or not send me a check. These things matter, but not much. Not much to loaf of bread in the boat's all it is. But you got the guy who makes bread in the boat with you. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour's lifespan? 
If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? He's asking us to think, isn't he? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil or spin for us. It's the daffodils and all the the bulbs are popping up right now. Think about them. They don't work. They do nothing. They just sit there. Doggone lilies don't deserve to be that pretty, do they? Get to work, lilies. You lilies are a bunch of freeloaders. Bunch of couch potatoes or actual potatoes, maybe. You're just under the ground doing nothing. And oh, look at you. You get to have a big flower and everybody goes, oh, look how pretty you are. Get to work, lilies. He says, think about those lilies. I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory looks as good as they do. Not even Kim Kardashian on a good day looks as good as a lily. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow it's gone, it's burned, what do you think he's going to do for you? These clothes? I'm getting better clothes? You're not, he's not talking about your clothes. <laughs> he's talking about your eternal clothes. I will give you a white robe and you will shine like the sun. So you're going to worry about your earthly clothes? Heck, I take care of grass, you men of little faith. And do not seek what you will eat, what you will drink, and don't keep worrying. Don't keep worrying about your, your, your stock market. All these things, the nations or the Gentiles or the sinners Oh, they, they're always looking for them. They eagerly seek them. But your father knows that you need these things. He knows you need bread to eat. He knows you need a house to live in. He knows. But seek his kingdom instead. Put your mind on his kingdom. Is, think, Christian, during this time, is your mind on his kingdom? Are you thinking, who can I help? Who can I share the gospel with? How good is my God? Or are you thinking, oh, we got to, Trump's got to get this right, and people got to, Nancy Pelosi, and this has got to go, and we're all going to die. Wear your mask, and I hate you people who go out, because you obviously don't care about anybody, and I'm going to say it on Facebook and make everybody mad. Is that you? You're useless if that's you. Because you're not seeking his kingdom, you're seeking the things of men. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. We're a blessed people. Let's live like it. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.